0: listening to Connection Church's podcast. Before we get to start, I want to read a passage real quick, kind of discuss it just for a moment. James two fourteen through 17, it says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. Right now we have a team that just arrived in Honduras and we will do so for the next three weeks. Brandon is there, our executive pastor, Joey, our outreach pastor, Bo, and a team. They are there right now being the hands and feet of Jesus in these communities and in this in this city right now. And I'm reminded of this passage because what we're doing is we're, we're not just meeting a physical need. There are also dark and deep spiritual needs that we have to be meeting theirs as well. We have to remember that faith without works is dead. But if we're just meeting a physical need, What's gonna happen? They'll come home and three days later, they'll still be hungry. We must attach an eternal message to the works that we are going out into the world and doing. We have to. I'm reminded of what uh, in the book of John, when Jesus feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, he met their physical need only for them to be hungry again that night. And when he returned the next day, They said, hey, give us more bread, give us more of what you you did, do that again for us. And he says, no, 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 you missed the point. I am the bread. I am your sustenance. I am your hope. I am your eternal security. I am everything that you need. That is the message that separates Christianity from culture. If we're just going out meeting physical needs, then we are just providing a temporary Band-Aid to an eternal problem. We are are to attach this eternal message, and that's what our team in Honduras is doing. Yes, we are meeting a physical need, but there is also the spiritual need that is being met. So be in prayer for our team this week as they are over there being the hands and feet like we are so called to do. Honduras is also one of the most dangerous places to be right now. So what I want us to do is I want us to take a moment and just pray for our team, and then we'll get started. How about that? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the team that is over there in Honduras Lord I just ask that you use them in a mighty way Lord help us meet those physical needs but also help us meet those spiritual needs as well Help the good works that we do over there draw people to you Lord that they give them that it gives them an, an eternal hope an eternal security in who you are Lord, people are in poverty and people are broken and people are suffering. All of of it is a result from the sin problem. And the only solution to the sin problem is your son, Jesus. So Father, we thank you for him and what he did on the cross and enabling us to go and reach the world with this message. Lord, protect our team, be with our team. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. Well, how are we doing, church? That's what I like to hear. The first service, you could have heard a dime drop in there. Like, How you doing? It's like, cricket, cricket. So it's always good to hear that you guys are doing well. My name is Cody. I'm the student pastor here at Connection Church. I'm excited to be with you this morning while Brandon is off helping the efforts in Honduras. And uh, it's going to be a good day. If you're, first, if you're just coming in, we're going through a series called The Letters. And what we're looking at is we're looking at the letters found in Revelation 1, up to Revelation three. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelation three. We're gonna be going through one, uh, verses one through six in chapter three of Revelation. But what these letters are, these letters are from Christ and Christ is using the disciple John to disperse these letters to seven literal churches. And God's overarching theme here, what he's wanting to do like a good father does is discipline, encourage, and equip his children. That is what he's wanting to do. And I know sometimes, especially in the last couple of weeks, sometimes these, hello, Holy Spirit says, you don't need it. I might need it. Well, what we see is these are seven literal churches. And what's interesting about this is that these churches no longer exist. No trace can be found. we have no evidence to show that after Christ... Use these letters to one warn them, and encourage them, and equip them. They didn't follow through. These churches did not do not do no longer exist. So that's scary. But what we see in that, that the fact that these churches no longer exist tells us two things. One, that when we allow sin to creep into the church and we allow sin to take over, it causes destruction. Number two, we see that God is faithful to fulfill His promise. His promise to these churches were, hey, listen, if you don't turn, if you don't change your ways, if you don't come back to me, your first love, I will remove your lampstand. And with that, what he's saying is I will remove your influence and I will dissolve your ministry because you are no longer being the church that I have called you to be. That is what is taking place. That's what we see in these, the fact that these churches no longer exist. You know, what's even more scary is that if you take these seven letters and you compile them into one letter, it looks very, very similar what the American church has become in a lot of ways. So the question is, will we have ears to hear what the Spirit says this morning, and will we learn from the mistakes of the early church and turn towards Christ and pursue Him with passion and consistency in such a way that glorifies Him and enables us to continue to reach the world? So that's the question here. So that's, that's what we're dealing with. And so many times it's easy to think that this stuff can't happen to us. We look around, there's a lot of people in this room, and it's easy to think, oh, we got this. We got this. That's not so. In fact, a lot of the churches that were receiving their warnings were some of the largest churches numerically. So we have to remember that. But before we get into it, because this sounds like it's gonna be a fun one. Before we get into it, I wanted to kind of just lighten the mood a little bit, because the overall theme of the Church of Sardis is things are not what they appear to be. It's not what it looks like. I can't tell you like, how many times, my, I grew up with six older brothers. I can't tell you how many times my dad would walk into the room. It's not what it looks like. You know, people getting in trouble, you know, growing up in a house full of boys, it happened a lot. But I wanted to help illustrate this point by showing you guys a couple of videos of situations sometimes things are not always what they look like. Sometimes things that look bad are good. Sometimes things that look good are bad. So I want you guys to watch this video real quick, just kind of an example and kind of lighten the mood a little bit. You guys check this out. Hello. Hello how much are they asking? Well, that's a lot of money for a deck. Well, I hate to tell you this, but you're getting robbed. Uh, did you hear me? You're getting robbed. Ow! Stop! 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 <laughs> Thank you. You got to get Come on. It's not what it looks like. I promise, I'm not trying to kill a cat. Those things are funny. Have you guys ever seen those commercials? I saw those a few years ago on the Super Bowl, and I was just always, uh, those, those videos are hilarious to me. So if you have your Bibles, Revelation 3, Revelation 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 6 here in just a moment, and before we do, let's just start, well, actually, we'll go ahead and start off and read verse, the first part of verse 1. It says, and to the church, sorry, and to the angel of the church of Sardis write, the words of him who is, who sorry, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now this is written to the church of Sardis. Let's pause there for a second, because in order to truly grasp the depth of what Christ is going to tell this church, we have to understand what was taking place in this city. Because Christ is going to compare the city and its history to the church's current state in Sardis. So he's going to be comparing them to them. We need to know what they were doing and what Jesus is comparing them to. And essentially, as it all comes together, there is no difference between the culture that was around them and the Christians that they profess to be. There was no difference. So that's a question I want us to ask ourselves. Is there a difference in us than in culture? If, if we can be identified by culture, if, if we if people look in here and go, ah, looks about the same thing I would do every day. What are we doing here? So we have to ask ourselves, is there a difference? And that's what I wanna talk about just for a moment is the, the history kind of of Sardis, because it's very important. In about 1200 BC, this, this, this city of Sardis was very powerful very wealthy, influential. It was a military stronghold. The city itself, it backed up onto a cliff. The back of the city faced a cliff. That that enabled them to see their enemies. That enabled them to see a lot of stuff happening. They felt they were impregnable. They thought that they were untouchable. They thought that they they just had it all together. That was where the city sat because that cliff, that's an important aspect of what we're gonna talk about. That cliff, they felt that made them safe. But here's the problem with that. The thing that they felt m- made them the strongest actually became their weakness. The very thing that they thought was like, hey, we are, we, no one can take us down was the very thing that caused their fall twice. See, what happened was after about a five, having 500 years of success and, and uh, prosperity in this, in this city, the Persians, a few of the Persians freehand scaled the cliff and they weren't watching they never watched that side. In fact, it's almost a joke, like they fell asleep. They just weren't watching. So the Persians knew that, and they crept in, opened the, da- opened the doors. The city was sacked in 14 days after having 500-year reign. Goodness. But here again, once again, the Persians, as time went on, they forgot about it. So Greco-Roman people, they, they came, they scaled the cliff, did the same thing, crawled in, opened the gates, they were destroyed. Twice that happened, and that's important to know with the context of what we're dealing with. So as that happened, as the, as the Greco-Roman world began to take over Sardis, Sardis kind of lost its prosperity, lost everything. wasn't really an important city. They became more known for their, for their wool and for their clothing line, essentially. But what happened was they became super, super superstitious. Super, super superstitious. So, y'all try saying that five times fast. Some of you guys actually just tried, that's funny. Um, but yeah, they became very superstitious. They worshiped so many different false gods, but they had one prime false goddess that they worshiped named Artemis. And Artemis was the goddess of life to them. This this city had a a very very well-known, they were popular for their liveness. They 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 seemed to be alive. In fact, they would build hot springs where you could go get in this hot spring, this tub, and then it was supposed to make your life longer. And they had this temple to Artemis, who was the god of life, the goddess of fertility to them. And they built, they halfway constructed a temple, never completed it, but they would still bring their sacrifices and their worship there. So Christ is going to compare the historical aspects of Sardis to where the church is. And that's very important as we begin to interpret and understand this difficult passage. So let's, let's keep on in verse one. We're gonna read verse one and two. It says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So things are not what they appear to be. The outside of the cup is clean, the inside is filthy, is essentially what he's saying. So here you have the context is like your city, you think you're alive, but you're really dead. They were known for their good works. They were known for meeting the physical needs in a lot of ways, but they forgot to attach that eternal message that separated them from the rest of their culture. We should affirm good works, whether done by Christians or non-Christians. When we see good works being done, when the, needs of the, when the physical needs of people being met, we should affirm that and say, good job. But Christians are to take it further and to provide that eternal message of hope. They weren't doing this. So Christ is saying, like this city, you think you're alive, you have a reputation of live, but you're dead. Some of these letters over the last couple of weeks seem to kind of have run together. We see a lot of the similar things. So sometimes we're hearing the same things over and over and over again. My question would be, what have we done about it? If we've heard the same thing over and over and over again, what have we done about it? And we kind of see this in other letters as well. But I want to hone in for a minute on this on the spiritually dead. What does it mean to be spiritually dead? What does it mean? To simplify it for everybody, like for, for me, the best way to describe it is to be completely numb to the side effects of not only sin and culture's influence in our lives, but also grace. Spiritually dead means that we are numb to the effects of sin and culture's influence, and we're also numb to the effects of grace. We're just kind of there, we're just kind of complacent, we're just kind of going through the motions. And we can go through the motions and still be spiritually motionless. We can, that happens all the time. That's one of the biggest things that is hindering the church in America right now is that we're stagnant, we're going out and we're doing a couple good things, but inside we're not alive, we're not vibrant. We're not excited about the things that God is doing. So it's numb to the effects of sin and culture's influence in our walk with Christ. What does that look like? It looks like the things that should bother us don't, especially in the context of culture. The music that we listen to that should bother us and it doesn't. The movies that we watch that, bo- that should bother us and they don't. The books that we read that should bother us and they don't. That's what it looks like to be spiritually dead. Those things that should bother us, that should convict us, don't. You know, for example, I'm just gonna hone in on one thing just for the sake of time. But I know you guys, a lot of us in here know this song, and I got a weird response from the first from first service. We'll see how this goes. You know, the love me like you do, Lala, la, love me like you do. Yeah, we have. How, how many of us have heard that song before? Yeah, majority of us in here. Touch me like you do, ta ta, touch me like you do, and then she goes all high. What are you waiting for? You know. <laughs> Anytime I hear that, what are you waiting for? I'm just like, a wedding ring, hopefully. Hopefully they're waiting for a wedding ring because that, that, what the context of the song is, it should stir us as Christians. It should mess us up as Christians. We should hear that and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not the message we need to be teaching. That's not the message I want my kids hearing. That's not the message I want them singing. Here's the deal. I was at a Braves game with Brandon uh, last week and with a couple of other guys, and there was a there was, she couldn't have been older than six years old. A girl sitting a couple of seats down from me singing that song with her daddy sitting next to her. Love me like you do, love me like you do, touch me like you do, touch me like you do. The context of this song, and I'm just using this one song, the top five songs right now in America on secular radio stations are all about sexual um, content and they're very promiscuous in nature, all about wild parties and things of that nature. Am I anti-secular music? No, I am not. There are some great secular music, there's some great secular music out there. Um, I'm not anti-secular music, I'm anti some of the messages that it's sending When it gets to that point, there is some very good, healthy, I think, secular music that have good truth to it. But the minute that those things start not reflecting Christ, we should be flipping the radio station and telling our kids, you shouldn't be doing that and telling our spouses. That's, uh, hold on, hold on. uh, 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 Here's the deal with this. That's what, that's what we do. We we say, okay, it's, it's not a big deal. It should stir us. It should make us angry. It should convict us, but, but it doesn't. Here's what I often hear from parents. I'm, a, I'm in student ministry. A lot of times when I talk to parents about these things, they're like, it's just a song. It's just a song. Or no, 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 no. This is, my, this is my favorite one. I just like the music. I just like the music. Okay, Beethoven. All right. Go buy the instrumental and then tell me how many times you listen to it. All right. It's just about the music. No, 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 that's that's not the case because in these songs are words, and those words, anything that has a word is a message, all right? That's that's what we have to understand is that the words that are being pumped out is a message to our kids, to to us as general. The context of that song, by the way, is a girl who's not in her right mind. She even tells you so. So she says, I'm going to hand over the reins of this relationship to this guy, and I'm going to tell him to do things that he wants to do to me right here, right now. Sounds like a lovely song. That's the message that's being pumped out. That's just one example, okay? That's just one of many. So what are the things that we listen to, the movies that we watch, the books that we're reading, and are we trying to justify them? So many times we justify, this is all relating back to being spiritually dead, spiritually dull, being separated from what Christ has for us, is that we begin to justify sin instead of remembering that Christ has justified us to reject that sin. We begin to justify by saying things like, oh, it's just the music. Oh, it doesn't affect me. I'm, I'm, I'm far enough along in my spiritual maturity where that doesn't affect me. I, I think that's mistaken. A spiritual mature Christian would hear that and say, no, I'm not going to listen to this. I'm not going to encourage others to listen to it. Spiritual maturity doesn't sit idly by and let, let the message of culture be taken in like that. We just, that just is not how it goes. Oh, it's just music. It's just a book, and what we do what we do when we begin to justify these things, this is one thing we hear a lot is, is it a sin or is it not a sin? How many of you guys have asked questions about that with music, with language, with anything like that? Is it a sin or is it not a sin? You guys must be really good because I ask that question sometimes. Is it a sin or is it not a sin? And what we do when we begin to justify that and say, is it a sin, is it not a sin? What we're doing is we're putting sin under a microscope and we're walking a very, very fine line because what we're saying, if it's not a sin, then I'll just teeter on it right here. But the people that reflect that in the Bible are called Pharisees. They bring people to Jesus who are caught in sin or who have messed up. They bring them to Jesus and they say, okay, what are you gonna do? Because the Bible, because the word says this and we say this, what are you gonna do, Jesus? Jesus always has an interesting response though. Somehow he always ends up, to turn, he always ends up turning it back on their head because it's not about justifying the sin. It's not, is it a sin or is it not a sin? Here's a good question you can ask if you wrestle with that. And I'd encourage you to write this down. Here's a good question to ask and it will simplify it for you. Does it reflect the character of Christ? The question is not, is it a sin or is it not a sin? The question is, does it reflect our savior, our Lord, our Christ? Is it something that he would say, yes, engage in that? And I hear all the time, well, we need to keep up with the music to be culturally relative in movies and culture. Yes, we need to be culturally relative, but we need to be relative without conforming. That's, that, there, there, there's ways you can do that. What we see as we see that when we're spiritually dead, that sin is a subtle sickness. It, it, it creeps in just like the Persians and the Greeks did over this wall. It creeps in and begins to kind of devour things and, and tear us apart and separate us from God. There's a passage in Isaiah 59 too. We're gonna have it up here in just a second. It talks about this, Isaiah 59 nine two. it says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sin. Somebody say your sin, say my sin. my sin. And your sin have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. There's been a lot of times in my life where I felt like God wasn't there, that God wasn't revealing his face, that God wasn't speaking to me, that God wasn't moving in my life. And when I read this passage, it showed me it was never God, it was me because it says your sins have separated his face. When sin creeps in and it's subtle, it gets us comfy, it puts up a blinder between us and our father and we can no longer see him or hear him clearly. And then we become comfortable. And finally, spiritually dead encompasses not passionately or consistently following Jesus. A lot, there's, there's some teaching out there that say, hey, if you're not passionate about Jesus, then, I'm, then you're not saved or something like that. And, and that's not true. That is not true. There are seasons that we go through as Christians where we're not gonna be as passionate as we were. That doesn't call into question your salvation. That just means you are a human being in a spiritually dry season. But being spiritually dry is not the same as being spiritually dead. Spiritually dry means you're remaining faithful and obedient to God's word in the midst when you're out of season. 2 Timothy 4.2 gives us a clear picture that there are seasons. It, It says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So this tells us that there's gonna be times where we're in season and out of season. I always think about it in terms of like a sports team or, or being in sports, like there are times where you're not in season. There's times when baseball's not going on. Now, if you're on a team and maybe you've been benched, maybe you're, you're benched either because one, you made a poor decision, or maybe because the coach is wanting to grow you into a different role and you need more training, okay? Just because you're on the bench or just because you're out of season, does that mean that you and I, we don't have to show up to practice does that mean we don't get to we don't have to run when the rest of the team runs no anytime i was benched or anytime i was out of season in baseball in colorado we played all year round to practice but then there's seasons that we are passionate and the key to making it through those dry seasons is faithful obedience to christ and his word because that is is what's going to ignite us back into a season of passion. That's what's gonna get us back on the playing field and passionately pursuing Jesus and coming back to spiritual life. That's the key is faithful obedience and submission to Christ. So that kind of all encompasses what spiritual dead looks like in this context. The city of Sardis had adopted and embraced culture in nearly in every form and fashion. We are to engage culture, I fully agree, and we should engage culture, but we always shouldn't affirm the things that we see in culture, there's a difference. And Christ is warning them and he goes on to say, wake up. The context is clear, the city had essentially fallen asleep and allowed the enemy to creep in and devour things. That was the joke, they fell asleep. So Christ is saying, hey, like this city, we have fallen asleep and we've allowed the enemy to creep in and wreak havoc. So his call is to wake up, wake up. And what this tells us is that one, it's not a suggestion for those in Christ. It's a command for those in Christ. He says, if you mine, you, will wake up and you will obey me. Jesus says, Jesus says it clearly all throughout his word. And then John says in first John all over, if we love God, we will keep his commands. His grace will enable us to do so, and we'll be glad to. Our minds will go from get to, to have, from have to to get to. The things that reflect somebody that's, that's in, that's in a, a season of spiritual deadness is that mindset, I have to do this, I have to do this, and I have to do this. Spiritually alive, even in the dry season, says, no, 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 I still get to. He's still good. He's still faithful, even when I don't see it. So wake up is what he's saying, and what this tells us is that one, we have the ability to wake up, There is nobody in this room that is beyond the ability to wake up. If you're here this morning, don't believe the lie, that subtle lie that the enemy plants that, "Ah, this is not for you. You're too far gone. You've made too many mistakes. This tells us that we have the ability to. Not only do we have the ability to, but we have the responsibility to. Christ shows up. The Holy Spirit convicts us. We have to be obedient and submissive and follow him. That's what waking up is, the Holy Spirit's conviction. Some of us right here, right now, are already shaking their heads and are mad at the context and the text that we're going through today and the things that I'm saying. If you're already mad, I would encourage you to wrestle with that with God because here's the deal. We do have a God that we can wrestle with and I'm grateful for that. And truth will set you free, but a lot of times it's gonna make you mad first. So is that Holy Spirit coming in and conviction is that coming in? Because that's us waking up. He's waking us up saying, okay, now that you're awake, now what does he have for us? Let's move on. Next thing we need to do is strengthen them what is about to die. Strengthen, by this time the city of Sardis was completely and totally weak, economically, politically, socially, you name it. They were weak in every capacity. Militarily, they now, re- they now relied on the Greco-Roman world to, to, to provide adequate uh, protection. They were weak. They were not what they once were. So Christ is saying again, once again, church of Sardis, you were just like your city. You're weak. It's time to to stand up and strengthen what is about to die. If our bodies are weak, how do we make them strong? How do we make our bodies strong? If if we are physically weak, physically not, not fit, what do we need to do? We need to work out. We need to go exercise. Now, I'm not, the best, I'm not the best person to go up there and tell you, like, I'm in the gym every day. Obviously, I'm not in the gym every day. You know, like, that, that's, that's clear. I mean, I tried to exercise maybe once or twice. I think I ran to the track and then ran home. I didn't actually get on the track and run. So that's, that's, kind, of my, that's kind of my mindset on that. But if we, if we are not, if we're not physically in shape and we desire to be, we have to work out. We have to exercise. And the same, that's what Jesus is telling us is, hey, exercise the faith that you have been given, the faith that you've placed in me, exercise it and watch it work. Philippians says that we are to, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What that means is that we're to be working outwards what Christ has done inwards. That's what that means in Philippians. We already have the faith that we need. God has already gifted us in the way that he's going to gift us. He's already given us the faith. He's already given us the strength. We just have to work it out and exercise it. And by working out our faith, we we are then tangibly able to see God's faithfulness in the lives of others, but also in the lives of of ourselves. So how do we exercise this faith? In Connection Church, we, we believe that there are four cultures that we see in a healthy church, but also in a healthy individual. You've heard this many times. The first one is evangelism talking, discussing, sharing your faith with others. How often are we engaging in these conversations? How often are we telling people about this eternal message and in different ways? And evangelism, it can take place whether, sure, on a street corner, if, if that's what you wanna do. Evangelism can manifest itself in many ways. I like my favorite approach is relational evangelism. We call that in the church discipleship. Are we evangelizing? Are we sharing our faith with people who need to hear this message? That's one culture. The second culture is serving. If you, if you consider Connection Church your home church, then the Bible, the Bible says, this is not the book of Cody. This is not the book of Brandon. This is not a book of second opinions. This is, this is the word of God. It says, if you call yourself a part of the body, you have a responsibility then to be the hands and feet. And that way that is done through serving. Jesus took the form lower than a servant when he washed the disciples feet, not even a A Jewish slave had to do that, and he did. He humbled himself to the lowest point, and we should exemplify that. The third culture that we talk about here at Connection Church is community. How many of you guys have a pretty awesome Connect group that you go to? That's great. That's an important part of community is connect God within himself is a community. Father, Son, Spirit, he is a community. He desires us to be a part and play a role in community. But community is not just us surrounding ourselves with believers. If you really wanna see your, your faith grow, yes, do that. But we should, also be, we should also be surrounding ourselves with people who don't know the Lord. You wanna see yourself grow spiritually in a mighty way and quickly. You wanna be challenged. You you wanna just start moving towards Christ in, in a fast paced way. Surround yourself with people who are hard to love. People who disagree with you maybe politically. People who disagree with you maybe with religion. People who disagree with you about how church should be done. If church should be done One of the best ways I've experienced personal growth and and growth towards God is surrounding myself with people who are hard to love. That's part of community, too. Not just surrounding ourselves in holy huddles and not just talking about things that confirm what we believe, but engaging people and talking of meeting them on their level on things that they believe. We see, we see Jesus do this all the time. Jesus surrounded himself with so many people that were hard to love. He surrounded himself with what society at that time would call the, the sinners of the sinners. I mean, they were, they, they were culturally rejected, morally rejected. He was associated so much with them that the Pharisees called him and associated him with them. They said, hey, he's a drunkard, he hangs out with them. Do we have people like that in our lives? That's a key to spiritual growth is surrounding yourself in that type of community as well. So yes, be plugged in. You need that community of support like a connect group or in a discipleship relationship to help strengthen you and encourage you and equip you to be a part of a community of people who don't believe what you believe. See, they support you and then you go evangelize to those around you. It's all about this community aspect. So that's the, that's the third one. The fourth way we see, we see that we can be strengthened by working out our faith is in the, is in the culture of generosity. God is the most generous God. He gave himself for us on the cross to pay the unpayable penalty of death for us. God gave himself. And I'm not just talking about money. That's a big part of it. But I'm talking about the giving of your your time and your talents, the things that God has gifted you with and your treasure, all of the above. And oftentimes for me, I, I spent seven years working in the financial industry, telling people how to hold onto their money, telling them not to get rid of it. Don't, don't, no, no, no. You can't afford to tithe this month. Somebody would come into my office. I wanna give to the church. You know what my advice was to them? Hey, no, 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 you're not gonna make it. Don't do don't do that. No, 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 no. You know, you could save so much money and buy a new car if you just held onto that chunk of money. You're telling me you need a new car, this is the way to do it. I would advise them against giving generously. And that was the lifestyle I was in. But the moment I began to give, I had to then become fully dependent on God. And then by Him revealing Himself and taking care of business for me, I saw His faithfulness, and that His faithfulness sparks my faithfulness. And here's the deal, when I began to give, the feeling that came over me, the, what I felt, and I still feel to this day, is every time I give generously, it enhances my sense of freedom. Because I said things like, I control my money and I control the sin in my life. The minute we start saying things like, I control my money, I control the sin, is the very same moment it oftentimes has us under control. And that's just what I've seen played out in my life. You still with me? Okay, all right, because I heard a pastor say, if you want to see your church empty or grow, preach the letters. So (laughs) we'll see how we do at the end of the day. So strengthen, that's acting upon the conviction. And he goes on to talk about, I found your works not complete in the sight of my God, incomplete works. We've always wrestled with this idea of works and works has a bad rep in the church and it shouldn't because though we will not Though we are not, if we're in Christ, we're no longer judged by our sin. We are held accountable and have to give an account for the works that we've done here on earth. So I wanna put up a definition for you of works to kind of clarify what it is and what it's not. And we're gonna leave it up here for a second for you to write it down, because I feel like it's an adequate definition of what the Bible teaches about works. It's simply stewarding all of the responsibilities that God has given us in such a way that glorifies Him and reflects Christ to others. That's works. We're gonna leave it up there just for a second. Stewarding all the responsibilities that God has given us in such a way. So think about the responsibilities that God has given you today. Think about the responsibilities that you have in your life, your family obligations, your financial obligations, your, your friend's situation, your job, whatever it is. If you're in school, then God has given you responsibility to reflect Him and glorify Him in every way that you can possible at your school. If you have a family, then you are to be that reflection of Christ to your family. If you surround yourself by, with friends, then you are responsible. God has given you an, an area of influence to impact your friends for Christ. That's what it looks like to do the works. How have you, the question is going to be, how have you stewarded the responsibilities that I have given you that glorify God and reflect Christ? So the church of Sardis has stopped attaching that eternal message. That's what we see. The church of Sardis has stopped attaching that message. All works must be attached to that eternal message and faith without works is dead. And works without faith apparently are done in vanity. Moving on, Revelation 3, 3 through 6. It says... Here's the answer. Like we've been, we've been, we've been we've uncovered the spiritually dead, we've we've uncovered that we need to wake up and strengthen what remains, and that by working it out we will see his faithfulness and then become faithful. He's given us the answer now and the challenge. He says, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will. Not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we have a threefold thing that we need to respond by, remembering, keeping, and repenting. The city of Sardis ceased to exist because it failed to remember. It did not remember, therefore it did not remain. Just think, when the Persians took over, they didn't remember what they had done or think back to it. And here come the the Greco-Roman empire sweeping in and taking over. They didn't remember, so they did not remain. And we see that with the church of Sardis. Obviously, they didn't remember what things were like when they first came to know the Lord. They started off good. They were doing well. This church ha- had an opportunity to reach thousands and thousands of people. They were doing well, but they, for- they forgot their first love like the church in Ephesus, So they failed to remember, therefore they did not remain. There's no longer a church today. And it goes on to talk about Jesus says, I will come like a a thief and you will not know what hour I will come. What he's simply saying is you're gonna wake up one day and realize, or you're gonna wake up one day and wonder what the heck happened to my life. How did I get here? How is it that that I find myself in a situation where I'm wanting out of my family? How is that I've gotten myself in a situation where I'm wanting out of my marriage? How is that I've got found myself in a situation where I'm just wanting to give up on everything? See, that was the reality of Sardis. They had that, but they had the reputation of being alive. So what this looks like for us today is like on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter, we make our lives look flawless, but behind scenes we're wanting out. We see that so many times. One day we'll wake up and wonder what the heck happened. In Texas, Christy and I moved from Texas and um, we, we lived in East Texas. We lived in Austin and the surrounding areas and her family lives in Houston right now. And all these areas are being ravaged with like horrible weather. I'm sure you guys have seen a little bit of it on the news. It's pretty intense. A lot of people have died. A lot of people are still missing. Um, It's devastating. But I remember walking in and I saw pictures of it on the screen. And my first response was, what the heck happened? No clue what had happened. that's what it looks like when we don't listen to the word of God and when we we don't listen and, and remember, keep and repent to the things that he has called us to. And a lot of times it's easy to look at that and say, I thought God was a patient God. Now he's saying he's gonna come like a thief, quickly, swiftly. I thought he was a patient God. God is very, very patient. He is a very loving, but so many times we speak so much about God's grace that we forget his wrath and that his wrath and grace go together. His perfect justice and grace go together. And let's not forget that Jesus spoke more about wrath than anyone else in the Bible. Not because he wanted to scare us, but because he wanted to save us. God is patient, but we should not mistake God's patience for affirmation of our spiritual dullness. That's what we like to do. We like to say, oh man, things are, God's not really telling me anything different. I'm just gonna continue on. There is a limit to his patience and he is perfectly patient and just. Twice in the New Testament, it says that God's patience is meant to lead us to repentance and salvation, not a license to sin and engage and embrace the culture that's around us. Kind of wrapping up here, it talks about the few. It says, there are a few of you who, still have, who have not soiled your garments. Upon first reading, it thinks like somebody's going to the bathroom on themselves. That's what it seems like. And I've got kids and they soil themselves all the time. <laughs> So it's not a pleasant picture, but that's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about, and once again, the context is that Sardis is known for their wool, for their fabrics, for their dyed cloth. They're all the colors and vibrant aspects of their clothing. They were the hot clothing line, I guess. What he's saying, there's a few of you who haven't soiled your garments. There's a few of you who have not conformed to the pattern of the world around them. There are a few of you who are still wearing white, and white in the Bible always represents purity. It always represents wholeness. It always represents wisdom and beauty and majesty. He's so there's a few of you that have not done that. There's a few of you who are remaining true. A few. You know what's scary? Is that over the last seven years, a same study has been repeated over and over and over again. And the results are consistently the same, if not declining just a little bit each each year. As a whole, as a corporate church in America and as individual churches, 100% of the church is supported by 20% of its congregants. Financially, vision-wise, mission-wise, serving evangelism. Only 20% are being the the true hands and feet. And I can tell you, I can look at our serving roster and I can tell you that less than 20% of those who call Connection, their church home are getting involved and are serving. We've got, it's it's not that we want you to be obedient and do what we're telling you to do. It's that we want you to experience the blessing of God and the faithfulness of God and what it feels like to be a part of leading people to Jesus. 20% supporting the whole. Seems like what the case was going on in Sardis. Let me ask you, is Sardis still existent today? No, the church of Sardis does not exist. What that tells me is that the few cannot carry the many for very long. If it did not work for Sardis Church, it will not work for us. It will not work. Be clothed in white. It says he will be clothed in new garments. And that, that clothe, the imagery comes from Colossians 3, where we put on the new self. Abstain from the things that culture is staining us with. Reflect Christ in every way possible. question is, what group do we fall into? The 20 or the 80? What would, gosh, what would the church look like if everybody who said that they were a part of the body were the part of the body? What would it look like? Yes, the churches in this area are doing amazing things, but just imagine what we could do if 100% of Christians were on board with the message, the eternal message of sharing that message with people. What would that look like? and the most beautiful part about this passage it says the ones who persevere the ones who who are faithful the ones who don't stain themselves with culture the ones who stay faithful to Christ he will he will proclaim our names to the father that means when we get there Jesus is going to be like he's mine she's mine and if having Jesus Christ, the son of God, not proclaim your name to the heavenly father is good enough. If that's not good enough, then church, nothing will ever be. If that doesn't get your pulse racing, you might need to have a conversation with God about where your faith is at this moment. As he tells us three things. Remember, he's saying, remember, look back on what things look like when you first come to know him. Remember when you came in here and you lifted your hands in worship and you were involved and you were going good and things were just going well, you, you, could, you felt like you were right in the presence of God the whole time. Remember those times. Remember what that was like. So many times we come in here now and we see people who lift their hands and we say, oh, that's cute, new Christians. Oh, they, they must be new to the faith. That's awesome. Well, they'll they'll catch it eventually, you know? I'm, I'm the mature Christian. We should not mistake spiritual dullness for spiritual maturity. The deeper you grow with God, the more you want to worship him, the more you want to serve him, the more you want to give for him, the more you want to be his hands and feet. That's what we see in the Bible. So remember, look back on when you first received Christ, what was that like or did things even change? I remember, I, I feel like this is what I always tell people. I was introduced to Jesus at a young age. I shook his hand, but I never looked him in the blazing, fiery eyes. Is that you? I don't feel like, I don't feel like God brought me to salvation until I was 17 years old, when I had known of him pretty much my whole life, known of him, but have we shaken his hand or have we looked directly into his blazing, fiery eyes because the, no one in the history of scripture who looked Jesus in the eyes and was saved by Christ remained the same. So evaluate that, and he says, keep it. That means hold it close, store it in your heart as a testimony and reflect on it because it's remembering his faithfulness that will continue to keep us faithful. Remember it, keep it, and finally, repent. Forsake the sin that is leading us to death, that is leading us to complacency, that is numbing us to sin, that is numbing us to grace. Repent of those things. Forsake the sin and follow Christ. That's what he's saying. morning we fall into two categories either we need to come back to, the, to our first love and remember and worship him in the way that he deserves to be worshipped or we need to come to know him for the first time and I want to talk to you for a moment if you're here today and you say I've never had a saving relationship with Jesus Christ I maybe shook his hand, but I never looked into his blazing, fiery eyes that can see the depths of my soul. And you feel your heartbeat racing right now. That's probably the Holy Spirit wanting to wake you up and give you this new life. Don't resist it. If that's you this morning, you say, today is the day that I say yes. And today is the day that I begin to follow a new path. If that's you and you say, today's the day, would you just slip up your hand so we can celebrate with you this morning? Give you a couple seconds. Don't be be afraid. Just slip of the hand. Amen. 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 Anybody else? Anybody else? Give you a couple seconds. We just want to celebrate with you and pray with you and welcome you to the family. That's good. What we're going to do, we're going to close out here with a prayer but our prayer team's gonna be up at the front here. If you found yourself this morning wrestling with this word, and guys, I'm not saying you have to agree with me. It's not about agreeing with me. It's about aligning yourself with the word of God. I, I challenge you to come to the front, fall on your face before God, and wrestle with the things that he's putting on your heart. And if you've walked away for a season, come in repentance and just get prayed over, get encouragement, speak to somebody. We're here for you. We wanna walk with you. We love this church too much to not have an opportunity for the the believing body to come wrestle with their sin, wrestle with the things that they're struggling with. So when I pray, you can move to the front. Chase is gonna keep playing. Come to the front and just wrestle with God for a little bit. Our prayer team will be here. And if you want prayer, they'll pray with you. So we'll pray, you move. And then after that, anybody who doesn't feel like they want prayer or need prayer, you will be able to leave. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord. We know that your, that your word sometimes, it hurts. It's like a double-edged sword piercing the depths of our soul. But Lord, help us discern that type of pain as pain of healing, Father. You are healing us. You are cleaning out the infection in our lives of sin that separates us from you. We thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, Lord, and your wrath, Lord. We thank you that you were making a way to spare us from that. God, you're so good. You're so gracious. Help us apply what we've been learning over the last few weeks, Lord, that we may forsake sin and follow you, that we may wake up and come back to you, that we may remember and hold on to the things that you have done in and through us, that we we may remain faithful. Thank you for your word and its truth, Lord. Jesus' name. Amen.